June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Tonight, catastrophic flooding as Tropical Storm Sally batters the Gulf Coast with torrential rain, leaving more than half a million without power. Winds topping 100 miles an hour in Alabama, knocking down trees and tearing the side off this building. The dangerous storm now moving east, putting more than 20 million under flash flood watches. Deadly fires out west, a frantic evacuation effort led by police in Oregon. Entire neighborhoods burned down. And growing concerns tonight about dangerous air quality, thick smoke detected as far as Europe. President Trump at odds with top health officials. There are a lot of people think the masks are not good. This face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. Joe Biden tonight weighs in. Let me be clear. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists. But I don't trust Donald Trump. Racing to a cure. The administration tonight unveils a new blueprint for distributing vaccines 24 hours after FDA approval. The challenges states could face and where you might have to go to get the free shot. Calling an audible. The Big Ten reverses course and decides to play. How they'll keep players safe and what the head coach of LSU football is telling 60 Minutes about how coronavirus is affecting his players. And finally tonight, we meet a 19-year-old who flies helicopters to help fight wildfires. And what she takes on her missions just might surprise you. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us on a very busy Wednesday night. And we're going to begin with a life-threatening and devastating flooding emergency that is stretching along the Gulf Coast from Florida to Alabama. Now, as we come on the air tonight, parts of Pensacola are under as much as five feet of water from Hurricane Sally, as what's left of the powerful storm continues to dump feet of rain across the south. Sally slammed into the Alabama coast this morning after gaining strength again over the Gulf, and tonight she is pushing north, bringing torrential rains and possible tornadoes with her. In Sally's wake tonight, there are flooded buildings, ripped off roofs, and more than half a million people without power. We have a lot of new reporting to get to tonight. We've got our team of correspondents standing by to cover it all. CBS's David Begno is going to lead off our coverage from Pensacola Beach, Florida, where the danger isn't over tonight. Good evening, David. Good evening, Nora. Tonight, parts of the Florida Gulf Coast are underwater. Look, the storm surge was the third worst on record, and the rainfall has been historic. More than two feet of rain has fallen here in about 24 hours. Before dawn this morning, Hurricane Sally roared ashore, swamping communities along the eastern Gulf Coast. Tonight, the flooding is catastrophic. The storm, which strengthened to a Category 2 overnight, made landfall near Gulf Shores, Alabama. 
Packing 105 mile per hour winds so strong they flipped this tractor trailer. The damage is extensive. Buildings ripped apart, roofs shattered, the walls of this condominium building sheared off. Residents say it was terrifying. My wife was just crying because she never seen this before too. And my kids were scared and I told them it was going to be okay. CBS News' Manuel Bajorquez rode out the storm in Mobile, Alabama. Here's what he saw when it was safe to venture out. We're just stepping outside of our hotel to look at some of the damage here. You can see that glass door is shattered and there's debris all over this area. That's part of the hotel's awning. Back here where we are in Florida, during the height of the storm, it took two people just to open the door of our hotel in Pensacola Beach, where the eye wall made a direct hit. Caleb Mendelhall manages the Paradise Inn. He was here when the storm ripped the roof off and swamped the place. All of a sudden, we just heard a big boom, like an explosion, and pink, pink um, insulation everywhere. Even with the devastation left here along the Gulf Coast, residents will remind you they are resilient. I think we're happy that, we're, that this is all we have, and um, we haven't lost too much. And we're, we're just trying to take care of everyone in the neighborhood, trying to, you know, pick up for them and return things that belong to them. Look, tonight, a half a million people are without power. And because of this storm where we are in Pensacola Beach, most people are without clean water. Nora? Extraordinary to see all that flooding, David. Thank you. And Tropical Storm Sally isn't done yet. More than 20 million Americans are still under a flash flood watch. Let's get the forecast now from CBS's Lonnie Quinn. Lonnie? Okay, Nora, let's get right to it because the latest information is we have a storm that's getting weaker in terms of wind speeds. Right now, we've got 60 mile per hour winds still moving slowly, a little quicker than it was yesterday. Now at seven miles per hour, it's moving to the northeast. So who gets the rain from this point forward? Anywhere from Georgia up to, say, southern Virginia could see quite a bit of rain. We're talking four to eight inches of rain. And anywhere north of D.C., you're going to be spared because this will get steered out to sea by a cold front. Speaking of out to sea, look at all the storms we have out there. We have Teddy, Vicky, could very well have Wilfred forming over the next few days. Could also have Alpha. We can then go to the Greek alphabet. That could form in the next few days. Even Beta is possibly just rolling off the, the uh, Africa coast. But what takes place with Teddy? That's when we want to watch because we think this will become a major hurricane, a Category 3, as it moves right towards Bermuda. Again, they could be dealing with their second hurricane in a week's time and then continuing up towards northern New England and Maine. That is not, Nora, a hot spot that is known for tropical activity, but this strange year of 2020 uh, just continues in all facets. I mean, what a storm season, just to add to everything else. It's going to be a record setter. Thank you so much. Let's turn now to those deadly wildfires out west. New evacuation orders are in place in Oregon because weather conditions could make things worse. And we're seeing these heartbreaking scenes as entire neighborhoods have been burned to the ground. Here's CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti. This is insane. We are now hearing from those who barely made it out as flames ripped through southern Oregon, bearing down on the towns of Talent and Phoenix. I was frantic. We drove two and a half miles up the road and we pretty much seen the houses go up in flames. Cody and Norma Sims and their four children got out just in time, but their home, like so many others in Phoenix and Talent, lay in ruins. When you saw those flames come, what was that like for you? There was an overwhelming sense of calm there for a little bit. 
and then it just hits you like a ton of bricks. You've lost everything that you've worked for. For the Sims family, home is now a sprawling compound of tents. Cindy Beddingfield volunteers at the center that's now a community lifeline for people and rescued pets. Each cat here represents a homeless. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's yep. sad. The Western fires also continue to pour out smoke on a massive scale so thick it's creating haze that stretches not just to the East Coast, but smoke now reaching all the way to Europe. This while Portland, Oregon continues to have the worst air quality on Earth. The fires continuing to take a toll as the search for the missing carries on. Survivors are taking solace. Families number one, keep them safe. Around 100 families have been living like this for more than a week, and the reality is many don't have homes to return to. Volunteers say they will need help for weeks, if not longer. Nora. Jonathan, thank you. The head of the CDC testified today under oath about the timeline for a coronavirus vaccine. Dr. Robert Redfield said access to the vaccine is unlikely until next year. And what Redfield said on Capitol Hill led to a phone call from the president of the United States was an extraordinary rebuke. Here's CBS's Paula Reed. President Trump on the defensive tonight after his own CDC director contradicted his outlook on vaccines and negative rhetoric on masks. It was an incorrect statement. Dr. Robert Redfield today touting the use of masks as a potentially greater benefit than a vaccine. These face masks are the most important, powerful public health tool we have. After President Trump suggested masks aren't always popular in a town hall last night. A lot of people don't want to wear masks. There are a lot of people think the masks are not good. He reiterated his concerns with masks tonight. Masks have problems, too. That, too, was contradicted by Redfield, who said a vaccine for all Americans won't be available until next summer or fall. I think we're probably looking at third, late second quarter, third quarter, 2021. The president tonight saying that is incorrect. I called him. I said, what did you mean by that? And I think he just made a mistake. He just made a mistake. I think he misunderstood the question. Former Vice President Joe Biden said the disconnect between the president and his top health officials is harming the country. Let me be clear. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists. But I don't trust Donald Trump. And at this moment, the American people can't either. Biden also took issue with the president's claim that he should have called for masks to be required nationwide. I found it fascinating. The president said, and Biden didn't put in a mask mandate. I don't know how old he is, but I'm not the president. He's the president. And, Nora, we have more moments ago on this back and forth between the president and the head of the CDC. Dr. Redfield just released a statement, and he is not backing down. He says that he 100 percent believes in the importance of a vaccine. But he said the best defense we currently have against this virus are mitigation efforts like masks, washing your hands, social distancing and avoiding crowds. Now, tonight, President Trump also confirmed that another member of the White House staff has tested positive for coronavirus. The president said he learned about this last night, but says he did not have any exposure to this individual who has not yet been identified. Nora. Oh, Paula, so much news coming out of the White House. I want to ask you about the president tonight, once again, falsely claiming widespread voter fraud. What can you tell us? 
That's right. The president suggested tonight that unsolicited mail-in ballots are a greater threat to democracy than even foreign interference. He suggested that millions and millions of unsolicited ballots are being sent out. But in fact, 41 of 50 states require voters to actually request a ballot before they will receive one. Only a handful of states actually send out unsolicited ballots. Nora. An important fact check there. Paula Reed. thank you. With the government releasing its playbook today on how it plans to distribute a vaccine once one is ready tonight, we're looking into the huge logistical challenge of getting it to more than 330 million Americans as quickly as possible. Here's CBS's Weijia Zhang. In what it calls an interim playbook, the CDC outlines a plan on how to distribute a vaccine 24 hours after one is approved by the government and free to those who get it. There are six vaccine candidates. Most require a second dose, either 21 or 28 days after the first, and it has to be the same vaccine both times. Cities and states are scrambling to make it all happen. We don't specifically know what product we're getting, what kind of conditions it's going to require to maintain that vaccine. One challenge, the vaccines must be stored at different temperatures, ranging from 2 degrees Celsius to minus 80. And with the need for social distancing, there can't be long lines that facilitated vaccines in the past. Some states will repurpose drive through testing sites, but not in cold weather states like North Dakota, where those giving shots have to stay out of the elements. The local public health units in North Dakota are being very creative, and they are uh, going to practice using ice houses, which are for ice fishing. You can get rather large ones that potentially people could drive through. But in Philadelphia and other big cities, many people don't have cars. We're hoping to pursue the possibility of having uh, mobile vans. Another obstacle, keeping track of who gets which vaccine and when they need a booster. So the massive effort to protect the public also depends on the practical pieces coming together. Weijia Jiang, CBS News, Washington. And tonight, the head of the United Nations called the coronavirus the world's number one global security threat. It came after the deadliest day in nearly a month right here in the U.S. Just under 1,300 COVID deaths were reported on Tuesday. And there was a major announcement in college football. One of the top conferences, the Big Ten, ran a reverse, saying its colleges will play this fall. But how will they keep players safe? Here's CBS's Nikki Batiste. The Big Ten's reversal was welcome news to Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. He says his players can't wait to get back on the field. Excited for the players because, you know, they never lost faith. They never lost trust. To prevent players from being sidelined by COVID, the 14-school conference will begin a daily rapid testing program September 30th. Football players who test positive must wait at least 21 days to return to competition. They will also undergo COVID-related cardiac testing. But there is still growing concern about COVID-19's impact on players' health. While frequent testing is is an important part of the strategy, I think we shouldn't think that It's a foolproof way of preventing infection in athletes or the spread of infection between teams. Colleges across the country have seen infection outbreaks in the last few weeks. LSU head coach Ed Ogeron says most of his players have already had the virus. He spoke with John Wertheim for this Sunday's 60 Minutes. I've seen him get sick last couple of days and come back 
you know, they have their 10-day quarantine. But I asked him how sick were you? He said, Coach, I had a little cough. So I think that the young players, when they do get sick, get over it quick. With the Big Ten set to hit the field the week before Halloween, the Pac-12 is the last of the top five conferences so far still on the bench. Combined, they've taken more than $6.5 billion. How much of a factor is the revenue brought in by football for the Big Ten's decision today? It is a significant factor. It may be an overwhelming factor. Under Big Ten football's new guidelines, if a team's positivity rate exceeds 5%, it must pause practices and games for at least a week. Meanwhile, CBS Sports learned today the NCAA has decided to go forward with its Division I basketball season starting games, Nora, on November 25th. That's some big news. Nikki Batiste, thank you. There was a scary situation today in Austin, Texas. People scattered when two construction cranes collided above a job site. Their wires got tangled and at least one piece broke off. More than 20 people were hurt. 16 were taken to hospitals. We are told their injuries are not life-threatening. Nationwide unrest sparked by the police killing of George Floyd could lead to the highest insurance payout of its kind in history. The protests in late spring were mostly peaceful, but damage from looting and arson will cost one to two billion dollars in claims. That's according to the Insurance Information Institute, and that would eclipse the previous high, the 1992 riots that followed the acquittal of four officers in the beating of Rodney King. Millennial and Gen Z Americans, those under the age of 40, have a shocking lack of knowledge about the Holocaust. That's according to the authors of a new survey. Among their findings, almost two-thirds do not know that six million Jews were murdered in World War II. Twelve percent have never heard the word Holocaust. And nearly half have seen Holocaust denial posts online, a finding the authors call troubling. All of us should. We wanted to end tonight with the remarkable story of a 19-year-old woman, a helicopter pilot, who this year joined in the fight to help extinguish the wildfires that have burned nearly 3 million acres in California. Here's tonight's Profiles in Service. Ashley Blaine is just a teenager, but she flies one of the largest helicopters, the nearly 50,000-pound CH-47 Chinook. You could say it's it's the family trade. Um, my dad's been flying fires for close to 30 years now. As soon as I got into flying, I knew that was going to be uh, one of my end goals was to get into f- firefighting. Flying as her dad's co-pilot, Ashley makes sure the water they're carrying hits its target. You have to uh, be able to lean out the window, basically, and look at a water bucket underneath you and guide it where you want to go. What is one of the biggest challenges flying a Chinook? while trying to fight a fire? Sometimes we can be flying in very adverse conditions, you know, um, thick smoke or uh, just lots of other aircraft working around us that we have to be cognizant of. But for a young woman who's been flying since she was 13, it's a dream summer job. I love what I do, especially getting to fly with my dad. That's one of the best parts. Other than flying, what's the most important lesson you've learned from your father? Oh, how to be a good person. He's a very compassionate and empathetic person, and he does his best to help out um, our local community and his friends. And, and that's something I really admire about him is his willingness to help other people. And I think that's hopefully a trait that um, I can pick up from him and learn from him. And when we asked Ashley if she has any flying rituals, she said she always brings a bottle of water and a Snickers because she said you can last a long time on a Snickers. 
Tomorrow, a young woman took to Twitter to help her dad's taco truck. You've got to see what happened next. And if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. Remember, stay positive and test negative. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, But after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.